ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. Welcome back, Wildcat Faithful 2.0 podcast, recording in the Vivid Seat Studio. My name is Ronnie Sofel, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Adam Green. Adam, um, how are you, how you doing, man? I guess I'm not really sure how to, how to open this. You know, last few weeks, yeah. there's been so much excitement. Uh, this, this time, you know, it's take, taking me back to a while a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, those last few days, the one thing I've really come to realize in a found way is that Winning is way more fun than losing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's nice to be on a winning streak, and when you lose, it's like, oh man. Even Bummer. if they, I predicted a loss, I didn't expect yes. Arizona to win this game, but I was hopeful that they would take that next step and show that they were ready to compete with a team like Washington. But then, obviously, watched that game, and yeah, that that could have got a lot better. Yeah, it definitely could have, and there, there were kind of signs pointing towards maybe it should have. Um, but you know, actually, let's 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 put a pin in that for right now. We're going to come back to that, uh, Adam. Before we dive too much into that, let's just go ahead and get through some of this housekeeping stuff here. Uh, Wildcat Radio podcast, of course, subscribe for free through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, etc. Basically, any podcast catcher. Uh, be sure to also follow the podcast on social media. Our Twitter handle at Wildcat Radio AZ. Also. So be sure to check out our Facebook page, uh, Wildcat Radio there. Um, Adam, you know, of course, our website, sharpcollegefootball.com, is the new home of all of these podcasts and any of the written content that goes up. And then, of course, Mr. Rob Bowron, uh, his beta ranking data is also on that. Again, that's Sharp Football, or excuse me, Sharp College Football. Dot com. Uh, for anybody who missed it last week or even the episode earlier this week of the podcast, uh, Saul Bookman has joined Wildcat Radio. Uh, very much looking forward to working with him. Uh, over the coming months for the rest of football and then into basketball season as well. For anybody who is not familiar with his work, uh, go ahead and listen to the to, to the episode recorded earlier this week. That it was the inaugural Sal Bookman, or excuse me, Saul Bookman uh, episode uh, podcast to the whole thing. So um, did a great job. Yeah, he had a great timing for his debut. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the Wildcats <laughs> give him something more fun to talk about next week. But uh, yes, definitely broke down Washington. Looked ahead, provided some. Th- early thoughts uh on on basketball where the basketball team stands uh of course you know more to come on that adam the last thing i have here is the as i mentioned a few episodes ago we do have a uh bryant like i said went went shopping he went shopping on ebay uh, and he did win a gronk bobblehead 
So for all of our listeners, we are yeah. going to do a raffle. Uh, here is how this is going to work. So basically, this is a promotional. Uh, the, the, the way you gain entry to the raffle is basically just by promoting the podcast, right? You're probably familiar with this. If you've followed us in seasons past, it's going to be very similar to that. Uh, here it is. Basically, anytime someone retreats any of our podcasts for the next three weeks or shares on Facebook from the Facebook page, Bryant will add your name into the drawing. Uh, If you were to write a review on the podcast, Bryant will add your name three times to the drawing, okay? Um, On Saturday, November 2nd, Bryant will be doing the drawing. Uh, He will literally draw a name out of a hat live on Periscope, so there will be no funny business. Uh, So this this, this will be legitimate. Um, One caveat. If, if you're you know on Twitter, Facebook, uh, you cannot simply like the podcast. You must share. Uh, as far as reviews go and writing them, if you have already written a review, and I'm reading verbatim here, Brian said, find another phone and write another review. So <laughs> those are the rules, like them or not. You got any gripes, take them up with Mr. Brian Conger. Uh, but those are them. So uh, again, we will, over the next couple of weeks leading up to Saturday, November 2nd, we will continue promoting this. But hey, if... Uh, if you were not at that game, what was that now a couple years ago? Was it was it the home opener? They had the Gronk bobblehead. If you were not at that game and you did not get a Gronk bobblehead or you didn't go shopping on eBay like Bryant did to get this one and you don't have a Gronk bobblehead, uh, definitely here's how you can get one. So I don't know. It, you know, and, and I'm looking at this, Adam. I don't have a Gronk bobblehead and I don't see... I do. Okay, well, um, so maybe you won't be too much involved... <laughs> It doesn't say that we can't participate. It, it, the, the listeners may not like that too much, but I'm, I'm going to do my best to weasel my way in there. Well, uh, but I should probably try to win another one and then sell it to someone else. Like I can make some money here. Sell it back to Bryant. It's a really <laughs> sweet bobblehead. Yeah, I actually a coworker has one. I do like it a lot. But yeah, yeah, this could be a pretty good opportunity for you here, Adam. If you, uh, you know, lather, yeah, I can see this. this. Lather, rinse, and repeat, and just get Bryant keep coming back for more. But uh, yeah, so that's it. So there you go. Enough of that. Um, as far actually. One more thing, right? So for anybody who may be going to to the USC game or or you know traveling up to Stanford or coming back home for Oregon State or or uh, you know going back up to Oregon uh, to to visit the, uh, the visit Eugene and and, and that showdown of the Ducks way far away or you know maybe senior night back down in tucson and the point is any games that you may attending here to visit your beloved wildcats uh, for first time users go ahead and download the vivid seats mobile app uh, this will this will allow you to save up to 100 dollars on the first purchase by using promo code overtime overtime being o-v-e-r-t-i-m-e up to 100 dollars off your first purchase for first time users all right, Adam. Let's go. Got ahead. all that. Got it. Got it. Got it. That um, very that, nice. It's, it's a mouthful, but um, honestly, it's kind of just delaying the f- stuff that's not so much fun. <laughs> um, again, you know, Saul did a great job of providing his thoughts, doing a breakdown of what what we all witnessed Saturday night uh, when the Huskies came down to Tucson. Adam, you know, I, I don't necessarily, in, in my mind, it, it really was the tale of two halves. Now, I, 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 maybe, you know, it was probably just more defensively the tale of two halves. And I think it really has more to do with the defense finally just wore out because the offense really, frankly, couldn't yeah. get anything going despite having put up 27 points. But um, Adam, just, you know, high level, jump into it. What were your thoughts here? 
It was disappointing, if not surprising. I, I think we were all hoping, where even if Arizona wasn't going to win the game, they'd be competitive. And really, the first 30 minutes, they were up. And it's hard to remember that Arizona was leading at halftime in this game. And even the beginning of the fourth quarter, if you don't get that holding penalty on Reed on J.J. Taylor's run, Arizona's within three after the extra point early in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. Like, it's one of those where you never really felt like Arizona was in control because they weren't. Yet at the same time, this score almost doesn't indicate how close the game was. And that's not to say Arizona played a great game because Arizona played a really poor game. But just 51-27, and of course, seven of those points for Arizona were garbage time. It, it looks like a blow, and it looks like the defense was awful, that the offense couldn't do anything. And yet, if you watch the game, it was competitive for a long time, maybe longer than it should have been. I know Kevin, someone said afterwards, Stephen be up at halftime was a miracle yeah. with the way they were playing. Mm-hmm. But that's the case. They were up at halftime and they were in the game. They were within a possession in the fourth quarter. Even they settled for the field goal after the holding penalty, but they were still down seven. So I agree with you. The defense was fine. It wore down justifiably. It wore down against a bigger opponent, but you have to feel like if the offense could have done anything, like, I wish, I mean, we all do, and who knows, I'm not going to say Arizona wins the game, but if that holding penalty doesn't happen, Arizona, they're down 10, things are bad after the fumble, after Joyner's fumble, you go down the field, you score a touchdown, Tate looked good, the running game was good, all of a sudden you're down three, basically to start the fourth quarter, who knows where it goes, but instead, the penalty pushed them back, and Arizona was playing catch-up the rest of the way, so the score was uglier than the game, and yet the game was plenty ugly at times. You, you know, it's funny. I, I actually somewhat disagree that the score was uglier than the game because yeah, yeah be, just because d- despite that the defense played so well and, and like I said, I mean, ultimately it just died down. I mean, I, I yeah. can't blame them for that. I'm not going to sit here and blame the defense for wearing down uh, against, you know, albeit not necessarily like, like a better offense than, than what we have, but de- definitely uh, more talent, right? Like that offensive line is so legit, and that's what you expect to see from Chris Peterson. Um, they, they were just doing what they wanted against our front seven, especially as far as the run game is concerned. But um, I, I, guess, I, I guess, Adam, it, it just kind of feels like, honestly, this final score feels like a fair a fair picture of actually what it felt like with our offense versus their defense. I mean, our certainly offense, the last 30 minutes of the game. Yeah. I, I mean, but, but, but even, but even if you take away kind of those, those, I don't want to say fluky drives where we scored those two quick touchdowns. And then like Kevin, someone said we were lucky to be up at the half. I, I remember sitting there at the halftime thinking like, how in the world are we ahead at the half? Like that, like Washington <laughs> absolutely dominated us. Like it, it was insane. And, 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 but, but nonetheless, I mean, for as much as Khalil Tate can, and drive you up a wall he can back down and have you just dial into this game um you know obviously i don't want to spend too much time on the boneheaded stuff that he did because we're, we're all familiar with it but you know for him to just shake that off and then come right back in and then just deliver lasers and, and you know just finally stepping up in the pocket and taking care of you know he he was not comfortable in the pocket at all and and no. and, and, and i can't i mean that, that I can't even really blame our offensive line for that, honestly, Adam, because uh, I, I think it's just clear that Washington's defense, they were just more talented. Like they were just better than what our offense had to give. And and you just saw that speed, you know, against UCLA. We can use this as an example because this is a fair reference point. Uh, you know, just those quick like jet sweeps, you know, like the Rams do with Robert Woods. Mm-hmm. And we were doing that with Brian Castile and we found success early doing that um, against UCLA. 
We tried doing that against Washington and they shut it down. As a matter of fact, I, I think I counted four times. Not one of them even got back to, 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 to the line of scrimmage. Like they all, yeah. they were all taken down for negative yardage. Um, I, I, you know, so I, I can kind of, I feel for Khalil Tate in that sense, but there was just a couple, you know, boneheaded plays where it's like, okay, but, but then despite all of that, right, you come back, you get still into this groove and here we are halftime. And then I actually, I remember even coming out of halftime. I don't know if you caught this Adam, but, but the sideline reporter caught up with both uh, Kevin Sumlin and, and uh, Chris Peterson, Kevin Sumlin was the frustrated one, right? Chris Peterson yeah. said, he, yeah, no, we're, 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 you know, basically in good spirit saying like, we're right where we want to be. And I remember thinking, what the hell, how are you right where you want to be? But little did I know. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Li- little did I know, right? Like he, he knew that the way the game was going was like, oh yeah, there, we got this right. Just tweak, tweak a couple things and, and we got this. Well, and that's the thing when you have the more talented team in Washington, they're bigger, they're, they're just as fast. They're bigger, they're deeper. They're a better team than Arizona, more talented. You just know that you need to play your game as playing out of their minds. Clearly, Arizona wasn't playing out of their minds. Like Kevin Sumlin knew that his team that did it was going to have a chance. Mm-hmm. Whereas Peterson just kind of like, yeah, we just got to do what we do. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing. Like, and you could say Arizona was lucky to be up at halftime when they were, but they made plays. They bounced back. Khalil Tate, you mentioned he put some surgical drives together. It's like, oh, he's found his rhythm. But you, you know that game, it's like Arizona's offensive line was going to get better at handling Washington's defensive mm-hmm. front. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that wasn't yeah. going to happen. Arizona's defense for as much of a fight as they put up in the first half of that game, and they put up a hell of a fight in the first half of that game. You just know that they don't have the depth to stick with it, mm-hmm. where this is the type of game where if Arizona was going to have a real good chance, they need to be up two scores at halftime. They need to be up three touchdowns, you know, up 24 to 10 or 24 to seven, just kind of one of those hazards, like you're in control and allows your defense to play a different game in the second half. Just being up 17 to three with a sloppy half, like, yeah, you did enough to be able to have the lead, but it wasn't enough to take control of the game. And that's what Peterson knew. That's what someone knew. And, and that's the thing in Arizona, of course, you give up a touchdown on the first drive of the third quarter. Then you punt on a three and out on your first drive. Then you force a punt. You're like, okay, you're only down three. And then the fumble. And that's where it all kind of started to spiral. Like Arizona was in this game in spite of themselves. Mm -hmm. And yet there's so many mistakes and there's never a good time for a turnover, but the mistakes that they made mostly unforced errors that you just can't have. But yeah, it's, Kulitate never had a chance to get comfortable, and of course that affected him because when he did have time, he didn't realize it, or he got a little jumpy back there, which yeah. shouldn't have happened for a senior quarterback, but it did. Mm-hmm. And the running game was fine, but they were down in the second half where they couldn't just rely on that ground and pound type of thing. So it was just watching this game. I, I think if Arizona had lost, say, 31-27 or even 30-77, people would have been all up in arms about it. But because they have 24 in the fourth quarter, because they end up giving up 51 points, it's kind of like, oh, God, look what happened. But it's, I do think it was probably a closer game than the score indicates, but not, it was. Like, but not in a way that makes you say Arizona was on the cusp of winning. Just, again, the fourth quarter, the very first drive of the fourth quarter after the Thomas Reed holding penalty that he didn't need to do, Arizona was within seven. Hmm. They were that close to within three because Taylor did make a great cut to get into the end zone. Like that should have been the case. And Arizona wasn't out of the game in the fourth quarter. And yet you look at that score and it looks like they absolutely were. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, I'm, I'm, I, I think all of that is fair for sure. And I, I even sit here and I think I can't even believe, you know, going back through the play by plays here and looking at the drives. 
it's hard to even fathom that this game was a one possession game in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? And, and that's where it gets back yeah. to, you know, that, that whole Thomas Reed holding thing. Of course, yeah, he didn't have to hold there. I mean, that's just one of those things where it's just kind of. He didn't know what's going on behind him. He got yeah. beat on the play and held. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it happens, right? I mean, I get it. And and honestly, too, those DBs were just whooping up on our receivers all game, right? So mm-hmm. he was just doing what, I mean, the best he could. And I can't even really blame him for that. But um, it's just funny, you know, because af- after the game, you kind of start reflecting. And, and, and my things, I feel kind of, I, not kind of, I do feel silly, uh, even embarrassed, if you will, for thinking that we were going to be able to, to take care of business. I mean, you know, as the, as the week progressed and obviously, you know, you go back and listen to my confidence and what we talked about last (laughs) week. Um, I slowly talked myself into this game and I, I don't know. I mean, I I should have just actually trusted that Chris Peterson's guys and what he's done on the recruiting trail uh, over the last few years has just been leaps and bounds ahead of us. And that despite losing nine starters, I mean, that was well documented on the telecast, right? Washington lost nine starters on defense. Uh, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't in, in impeccable, right? I mean, there were vulnerable times. I mean, we did uh, move the ball a couple of times. I mean, overall it was a dominating defense, but we just, it wasn't, um, it, I'll put it this way. That Washington defense was not the Washington defense that we've seen over the last couple of years. And that was certainly one of the reasons why I thought that there was a chance. But ultimately, that proved uh, they, they disproved that whole thing. But like you for feeling almost embarrassed for picking Arizona, like I get it. And even we're picking Washington, weren't picking Washington to win by 24 points. Yeah. Most people felt that Arizona and that's where you kind of as we look at the Arizona Wildcats now. You have to decide what side of the fence you're on. Is that, are they the team, like, is losing this game to Washington, who they were favor- they were supposed to lose this game, not by 24, but they were supposed to lose this game. And when you're playing a better team and you turn the ball over four times like they did, especially in your own zone, much of the time, like, you're going to give up more points. You're going to lose by more than you should. But I understand why someone would pick them. And I would understand, like, Arizona's a pretty good football team. Mm-hmm. But I think they're not good enough to play poorly and beat someone like Washington, sure. unless Washington plays just the worst game they've ever played, which wasn't going to, they don't lose two in a row. Right. <laughs> like, Arizona would be better if they had beaten Stanford. They didn't. But this was just one of those games where it's easy to look at it and say, geez, what were we thinking? Arizona's not that good. Yeah. You know, that their four and one start was just a effect of playing bad teams, but they didn't. They didn't play bad. Texas teams. Tech's a good team. Texas Tech's good. Colorado, Colorado is solid. a decent team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a road win. So it wasn't a mirage what Arizona did. But what is a mirage is the idea that Arizona has arrived to the extent where they don't have to play a really good game to beat really good teams. Yeah, you- and they played a bad game. And that's not your fault for expecting better of Arizona. Like, the Colorado game was one of the best games they've played in a long time, I thought. Cool. Amazing. He was surgical yeah. against Colorado, especially in the second half. And I don't think anyone would have predicted him to regress as much as he did in this game. Now, credit to Washington. Great game plan to go along with great talent. And that's what happens. But now, I, if you're a Wildcats fan who watched that game and says, well, shoot, Arizona's just not that good. They're going to finish with four wins this season. Or maybe they'll just beat Oregon State. That's the last one of the season. I, it, but also, I'm just kind of looking. But why? Yeah. Assuming that the previous four games, or we'll say the three games against the good teams, and well, two good teams and UCLA, but why are we saying that that was the mirage, that was the fluke, and not Arizona losing by, to a better team when they turned the ball over four times? Like, what? what's more fluky? And to me, Arizona's proven themselves to be a pretty good football team that can be really good when Khalil Tate's on. 
and he should be on more. He's a senior. So Adam, he shouldn't have gonna, bad games like he did against Washington. But I'm gonna yeah. pause you. I'm, I'm gonna pause you right there in that Khalil Tate thought. I got to do a quick read, but then I have a question. Then we have to jump into our interview, uh, and then of course to, to help us with the all with right, the fine. But uh, real quick, uh, this read uh, for our good friends at MyBookie. Uh, it's hard to believe it's October already. The college football season is heating up, and MyBookie gives more reasons to get in on that action. Not only your point spread in total, but MyBookie offers in-game wagering, so track the action and movements as the game takes place. Game props, playoff odds, Heisman odds, and national championships odds are available as well. And just to scratch the surface, we have teamed up with MyBookie this October uh, to give you a great offer sign up at mybookie.ag and use promo code overtime again overtime o-v-e-r-t-i-m-e and they will match your first deposit again promo code overtime and new use and new users will get their first deposits doubled mybookie.ag you play you win you get paid adam you mentioned Khalil tate um grant Cannell. grant Cannell came in at the end of this game um, two quick questions here. Yeah. Grant Cannell, did you agree with bringing in Grant Cannell? And moving forward, do you want to see Grant Cannell or Quill Tate? Um, the first question, I, I listened to someone's explanation where he said that he figures Cannell, if he has to play this year, you want him to be ready, and I understand that. You don't want him to be just thrown to the wolves. He already has a start, but at the same time, it's like in this game – why not go with Rhett Rod? Why not West go with Bull. Doyle, someone who yeah. you're not going to burn Gunnell's red shirt? Unless mm-hmm. unless you just don't worry about the red shirt. I mean, how many guys? If Gunnell's as good as Arizona thinks he's going to be, he might be gone after his junior year. And, of course, with the way he's in his injury history, there's a decent chance that Gunnell would need to be, enter a few more games the rest of the way and lose the red shirt as is. Um, so I, I don't necessarily agree with it. I was kind of puzzled, too, when that happened. I'm like, why, why would you burn another game when he gets four? In this, in this moment. Um, and to your second question, I still want to see Khalil Tate. Yeah. Uh, Gunnell came in. He was three of eight for 25 yards. It wasn't like he set the world on fire against a defense that clearly played him differently than they were playing Tate. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It was garbage time for Gunnell, and he was fine. He looked, he looked fine. But this team, and we've seen it, and yeah, Gunnell beat UCLA barely. And I'm not trying to knock him, but it's not like he set the world on fire in that game. He was fine. Whereas Khalil Tate is Arizona's chance to be great at that position or dynamic, be special at the quarterback position. He was awful against Washington, just terrible and made some really, you know, plays that he shouldn't make as a senior. The fumble was like, I, Oh geez, I don't terrible. know why he, terrible. was There's all no about. And, terrible. So like, and the last intercept and his interception, I think was probably more a case, case of a great defensive play than Tate doing the wrong on a screen pass, but he had a bad game. He was jumpy. He was jittery in the pocket. He bailed out too often. He should have stepped like he was bad, mm-hmm. but he's still Arizona's best chance to be better than average. And Gunnell, I think has a super bright future. I'm excited about him, but I am not going to grant Gunnell unless Khalil Tate gets hurt or another game like this, where it just gets so far out of hand. There's no point in leaving Tate in there, but even then I'd still rather not go with Gunnell. So no, I, I don't quite understand him going to this game, but I, I guess the explanation makes sense, but it doesn't change my opinion that Kulotay should be the starting quarterback for this team. 
I agree on both counts. I don't understand why he went in. And, and frankly, I mean, I understand the logic of what uh, of what Kevin Sumlin laid out there. Um, but I, I'm dissatisfied with that explanation. I mean, you know, don't, don't be, you know, don't, I guess as a can as a fan, somebody watching on the couch, right. Don't, don't get too caught up in the, well, the red shirt, you know, you're going to burn the red shirt, right? Because to the point of Kevin Sumlin, you want to make sure that he's ready to go if need be, because Hey, you know, like it or not. Yeah. We got our asses handed to us in this game. Um, but we're still four and two, right? This season is still very much alive and we are still tied for first place in the South, right? I mean, we, we, we are still very much alive. And so if something were to happen to Khalil Tate, which history shows it will, um, we want to make sure that Grant Cannell is ready to go. So I guess fine, but I just I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, and then to the point of the reason I asked, you know, Grant Cannell or Quill Tate now, the answer is obviously Quill Tate. I'm just sick of seeing it on social media. It should be. It's so stupid. It should be. Like, like everyone just relax. Tate's frustrating. Yeah. Well, was anyone calling for Grant Cannell after the Colorado game? No, right? exactly. Like I mean, we, and, and I get Quill Tate should not be making some of these mistakes. He's a senior, and the hope was that he'd be past these. But for every Washington game, you get a game like Colorado or a game like Texas Tech where he makes a dynamic play, right? We know what he can do, and he's not the quarterback we all hoped he'd be as a senior. But at the same time, like this was, from what we've seen of tape this season, this Washington game was the anomaly. It was an anomaly against a superior opponent that was just abusing the offensive line and pass protection all night long. Got in his head, and, that's it. And, and the hope is that Tate would be the type of player who could make up for that. A couple of years ago with his running ability, he seemed like he could be. But, of course, we haven't seen Arizona play Washington in a couple of years now. Yeah. Like, this is just, this was not a great matchup, and it got exposed. And, yeah, if Tate was great. If he was the guy who, a couple of years ago, plus the passing ability, and when they get the pressure, he could escape and take off for 45 yards, 70 yards, they would have had a chance. But that's the thing. That's what Arizona needed to beat a team like Washington. Grant Cannell's not that guy, not as a true freshman. But Khalil Tate could be on any given game. So it's easy to, after a game like this, be like, ah, go with Gunnell. He's the no. future. But, I, yeah, this was a miserable game from Tate. You can't defend it. And he talked about how he needs to play better, how he needs to be better. Like, it wasn't just Khalil Tate's fault they lost this game, but certainly he contributed. We're but that's probably USC. the first time you could say that, we're, you know, we're, we're on to USC, Adam. That's a, that's behind us. A loss is a loss in this instant. Uh, you know, m- move on, right. T- understand, take better care of the ball. Uh, learn yeah. from your oh, mistakes, sure. obviously, but yeah, I mean, you, we're on to USC four and two, two and one conference. That's it. You can't focus. You can't dwell. Right. Um, all right, Adam, let's go ahead and fast forward here. Uh, it's time to shift our focus to the USC game to help us do so. We have our good friend from reign of Troy, Alicia de Artola, uh, who did an interview with Bryant. So this is going to sound goofy as, as a forewarning, just, just warning everyone who's about <laughs> Bryant to hear this. makes us return. Yes. Bryant returns to wildcat radio. It's great. He couldn't stuff. stay away. Yeah. He, he loves us too much. Um, and, and just for the backstory there, Alicia spends her evenings at the USC practice. Adam and I record in the evening, so it, it was just really a scheduling conflict. So Brian, her priorities are way out of whack. Yeah, I, I'm, I, we'll have to talk to her about that later on. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to really reprimand her on that. But you know, besides the point, uh, he, he was able to find some time with her, uh, which is why he conducted this interview with her. Great stuff as always from Alicia. Hope you enjoy, and we'll catch you on the other side. Before that, let's take a quick break to hear from a couple sponsors. All right, Wildcat Radio fans, welcome back. 
Really excited about Wildcat Radio 2.0. Saul Bookman's show is launched. Ronnie and Adam are continuing to crank out good content, good interviews, and wanted to fill in here because the one person we wanted on this podcast to talk about USC football was available and just wasn't available when Ronnie and Adam could interview her. And that's Alicia Deartola of the Rain of Troy podcast and rainatroy.com. Excellent website, really knows her stuff. We're really glad to have her on. And if there was a movie scene where we're all walking away from the explosion in the background, like, you know, a gas station blows up, we're all slowly walking back to the car with our shades on. Alicia will definitely be in that scene. Just a big friend of the podcast, really knows her stuff. And Alicia, it's it's great to have you on. I'm good. Thank you for um, considering me part of the of the uh, you know, I call it the badass crew. I'll take it. <laughs> um, a lot to talk about with the USC here. Big matchup for Arizona, at least on the road in the Coliseum. I know USC has bigger aspirations uh, this year, particularly with the coaching staff there and everything that's going on. A lot of turmoil in the program, but a very talented squad. And we've been covering USC at length at 12 Pack Radio and thought you would be really the perfect person to come on and just talk about this matchup with Arizona. So what I'd like to do is just start off and, uh, and you know, the you paint, paint your portrait here. <laughs> where is USC football? I know there's a lot going on. How would you, where, where's the pulse of that program right now? Yeah, it's tough because there's sort of two realities. There's a reality that is the vacuum of the 2019 season. And there is the reality of the 2019 season in the context of 2018 and, and even before that. So on its face, you know, USC came to, came into that six-game schedule to start the season, and everyone knew it would be very tough. And I think USC's come out of it sort of uh, okay. Uh, you obviously don't want to lose to BYU, but losing relatively close games to Washington and Notre Dame on the road, uh, top 10 teams when you played them, certainly isn't the worst thing in the world. So USC could certainly be worse than 3-3. Three and three. Uh, problem is that you can't really judge this season in only the context of 2019 and, oh, you faced, you know, ranked road teams and, and you lost close games, played them tight. Uh, you have to base everything around what happened in 2018, even going back to 2017 and 2016. And unfortunately, USC is in a situation where they're three and three because the same problems that plagued them in 2018 are still very, very active and uh, and that's why I think for the most part I think USC fans are pretty dissatisfied. Um, the 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 people who uh, there are people out there who are willing to sort of pass USC struggles off as dealing with quarterback injuries and the like. Uh, but I think the the vast majority of, of USC fans are looking at this performance this season and just saying, yeah, still underachieving. That's about what you can expect. It's a fascinating matchup because USC now faces an Arizona team that is still finding itself. I think the quarterback position, we'll get into that when we match up these two different programs. But uh, the defense seems to have found it uh, found itself a decent amount here under Marcel Yates, but um, had some slippages in a number of games. I think the offense is still trying to figure out how it can use Khalil Tate the, the, in the best way possible and how I think Khalil Tate is walking through how he can try to fit into this offensive system and I think sometimes uh, the answer is I don't want to fit into this offensive system so <laughs> you can kind of see this 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 like this big barge and it's kind of going left and then it's going right and doesn't quite know the direction it's headed in I think one of the things that is interesting is that there is some talent on this Arizona offense and what I wanted to do is start here by focusing on Arizona's offense and how it matches up against USC's defense obviously uh, 
Khalil Tate can be hit or miss, hot or cold. Uh, oftentimes in big games, he tends to want to do too much. And I'm, I'm curious to see how he performs against USC because obviously a big game for him uh, coming out of the Los Angeles area. He wasn't recruited as a quarterback by USC. He always feels like he has something to prove against the Trojans. Um, but when you take a look at the rest of Arizona's offense, pretty good running game. J.J. Taylor was back. I think they're kind of easing him in from some injury issues, but seems to be in a good spot. Gary Brightwell, um, Bam Smith, some some players, Nathan Tilford, who I think was out of uh, California as well. Pretty good running attack. Uh, Arizona's offensive line is uh, it's it, it's been. <laughs> I think that last sound I made is probably the best sound <laughs> without actually saying words. Uh, that is I'm Arizona. I'm using sound effects to describe. Uh, units on a football team <laughs> and in a young wide receiving core um let's start with the running game here some talented players and an okay offensive line but i like usc's front seven i think that's a strength of the the program here what do you think about your run defense and the players that you have there trying to make sure that there's some pressure on the quarterback and making sure there aren't giant runs by arizona's uh, rushing attack Yeah, there's some now big questions about USC's run defense. They gave up 308 yards to Notre Dame uh, in what was by far their worst performance of the season so far. Um, But it's hard to account for how much of that is about Notre Dame because they have a legitimate offensive line with NFL talent up front. Um, And so how much of that was they just went up against a front that was better than them and how much of it was sort of widening the cracks that have been showing for a little bit as far as the the ceiling for this for that front seven, um, I think getting Arizona is probably something that USC will be grateful of coming out of that Notre Dame game because uh, y- your inability to figure out a way to describe Arizona's uh, offensive line is probably a good thing for USC to regain some confidence because they have been pretty good. Uh, the defensive line has been the strength of the team when they're not going up against NFL talent like Notre Dame. Uh, so you have to expect that USC will be able to rebound in terms of the interior run defense, but USC has been vulnerable on the outside to literally everybody. And I think that's what USC fans and and USC in general is coming into this week thinking, man, Arizona has the speed to, to hurt you on the outside. They have the quarterback to do it as a, as a scrambler. So even if you get pressure on Khalil Tate, uh, when you're a team and a front seven that has struggled to keep quarterbacks contained, then Khalil Tate, feels like the ultimate weapon against that. So it is going to be quite interesting to see how USC copes here because the the edges have been a consistent problem for USC, but the interior and the general run defense hasn't been as bad as it looks on paper, except for that Notre Dame game, in which case it was as bad as it looked on paper. <laughs> Who are some players for Arizona to keep a lookout for? Because there are definitely some folks on the field on your side of the ball, particularly in that front seven who are going to be playing on Sundays. Yeah, J2 Fella is uh, probably the most talented player, or the, the best player uh, on the line so far. He's a, a defensive tackle. He's the guy who you expect to deliver some explosive plays. And and you saw Notre Dame double team him to try and really neutralize him, and they had success doing that. Um, Marlon Tupelotu is, is his defensive tackle partner, who's really USC's primary run stuffer. Um, so he's had a really good season up until that Notre Dame game. So I expect him to him to rebound. But the guy who every, who's drawing everybody's attention right now is Drake Jackson, the true freshman defensive end, who was the only defensive lineman who came out of the Notre Dame game with anything to show for it. 
And it's incredible that that kid is a, is a freshman and, and doing that kind of thing. Um, the, the vulnerability for USC is really Christian Rector, the redshirt senior defensive end uh, who got absolutely murdered by the Irish. So uh, all four of USC's linemen up there in that front are potentially very good players. They're just at very different stages of uh, reliability that USC is dealing with right now. So, uh, you know, on the names right there, I I feel very, very confident, if not for watching the performance just a couple days ago. Yeah, when it comes to uh, defensive fronts, uh, the defensive linemen for USC, probably the strongest group that Arizona has gone up up to this point and will go up against uh, moving into the conference. I just really, really love those front guys that you have up there. It seems like the linebackers can be hit or miss and your defensive coordinator tends to gamble a little bit and give up some big plays. Do you see that being an issue with that linebacking core? It just seems like uh, they're overly aggressive sometimes and it opens opens USC up to uh, some big plays. Yeah, they, they said they were going to simplify the scheme and make it easier for the re- for the linebackers to make their reads and all of that going into the into the season and then you know you're watching them now and I don't know if simplifying has helped anybody because uh, too often you just see Ea Naoteote who is arguably the most talented player on USC's defense but he's not playing like it you just see him sort of like running around with a chicken like like a chicken with his head cut off and he is probably the one that's most often guilty of taking a really horrendous angle. And, uh, and and taking himself out of the play as a result. John Houston next to him is just a more limited player, and that kind of gets exposed at times. Um, he is a, a little light for the position, so he's, he's prone to getting blocked out of plays. Uh, he doesn't always make the best decisions, sometimes finds himself in no man's land. So I think in general, USC's linebackers are probably the weak point of the team, of the defense so far. Uh, which is not what you wanted to hear going into the season because John Houston's a veteran captain and Ian Aoteote, as I said, is is a guy that has at least seemed to have All-American potential and they are really, really playing well below their, their standard. And I don't know how much of that is the scheme sort of asking uh, asking something of them that they can't deliver or if they're just uh, they're just deficient in terms of of reading the reading the 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 play and attacking the ball with the right angle and finishing the tackle and all of those things that you need to do in order to be a good linebacker you had mentioned the linebacking core kind of being the weakness and going into the season it seemed like it was going to be the secondary now granted it was five star players all over the place but a lot of guys that were either injured in the previous year or new to the program or uh, unproven commodities and my goodness they did a great job in pass coverage against Notre Dame Uh, that's going to be a pretty tough challenge against Arizona who also has a lot of unproven players that came into the wide receiving core but uh, certainly not with the pedigree that USC's uh, defensive secondary has uh how do you think sc secondary is going to match up against a wide receiving core with arizona that that can be fast it has a little bit more size than it has in the past but probably not one of the stronger units that usc has faced um up to this point yeah and that's been the the encouraging thing is how well usc's defensive backs have have handled everyone they've gone up against whether you're dealing with speedsters whether you're dealing with guys with big uh with height advantages like they had against they faced against Stanford and that was the big concern is, wow, you know, how is anybody going to defend these six, you know, six, 11 wide receivers? It felt like it was out there, um, but they've, they've done a really good job uh, against everybody. The big concern for USC and, and in terms of how they match up is 
I don't, I'm not sure who's going to actually be out there against, against Arizona. Um, USC had Isaac Taylor Stewart come out of the Notre Dame game with a, with a sprained ankle and it's not clear how available he's going to be able to be. Elijah Griffin has been dealing for weeks with uh, back tightness and he had to come out of the Notre Dame game as well. Greg Johnson uh, hurt his shoulder. It looked to me like it was a separated shoulder and he's had shoulder injuries in the past. So not sure what he's going to be doing at Nickelback. So the unit that has been, that has blanketed the likes of Notre Dame and Stanford and Washington and Utah uh, they, th- that might not be totally intact at this point. Um, you and both safeties are, are going to be in play with Isaiah, Isaiah Palomao and Talano Hafanga. So that's something for USC to, to hang their hat on. But, um, Chris Steele feels like the really only, you know, reliable player, reliable figure that you think is for sure 100% going to be out there for USC. And, and if, if those guys are available, then I feel very, very confident about their ability to, to stick with the, with Arizona's receivers, because we've seen them do it to literally everyone else. It's just that once you get down into the next layer of the, of the secondary, you're talking about really, really unproven freshmen. And so I have no, I mean, at that point, then start flipping coins. Cause then I have no idea uh, who has the upper hand there? Because just because we haven't really seen them. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned that because when they all started against uh, Notre Dame, I thought, all right, like th- this unit's all together, they're all back. I didn't realize that some of those injuries were nagging and ling- lingering I- issues that uh, could play itself out over the season. So, uh, be interesting to see who is out there covering Arizona's wide receivers. Let's flip to the other side. You got Keaton Slovis, who, my goodness, I, I put together a really solid game at Notre Dame on the road in a tough environment. Um, it's only a second road game, I think, or a major road game. I know he played against BYU, didn't do as well as he did uh, when he was playing against Utah. But it seems like somebody that I frankly think has looked better than JT Daniels. I haven't been that big of a JT Daniels fan, um, although it, I guess I'm not giving him as much credit because he didn't have a lot of time to prove himself before the injury, of course. But um, with all that said, Slovis looks like he has a handle on the offense. And let's start with your wide receivers. Can you just talk to Arizona about some of these players that are going to be running against uh, secondary that, by the way, has been fairly solid since that Hawaii game. It started to shore up their uh, defense here in Tucson, but I think this is, is without a doubt the biggest challenge they're going to have all year. Yeah, USC gives is given everyone this challenge, and uh, the, the best thing about the challenge that USC is giving people is that it's so unpredictable which one of the receivers is going to be the guy that's having the big day uh, against Notre Dame. It was Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, who is the the sort of inside receiver, the the slot guy, and the reason for that was that Notre Dame decided to take the outside away. They were playing uh, two two safeties, cover two, and and they were basically just cheating to the outside to make sure that Michael Pittman and Tyler Vons couldn't burn them deep. And that gave Amon Ross St. Brown room to run around all over the middle of the field and, and come away with 112 yards. Um, he had 97 yards and eight catches against Stanford, but, uh, you know, against, um, against uh, pulling up right now, uh, Tyler Vons was the guy in the first two games of the season with a hundred yard games. And then Michael Pittman came on strong against, uh, you know, against Utah and against Washington and, and BYU. It was all Michael Pittman all day. And that's really a reflection of, who is the defense trying to put a blanket over and who then is open as a result. And it's really a pick your poison situation. And all three of those guys, Michael Pittman's the big, strong, tall, just physical guy. Who's going to uh, out jump you and, and outmaneuver you. 
Uh, Tyler Vaughn's is the guy who's just silky smooth and has incredible body control and will make a toe tapping catch on the sideline when you throw a back shoulder pass to him. And Amon Ross St. Brown is that guy who's just going to slither through the middle of your defense and be stronger and faster and an all around better athlete than anyone you're going to be able to have covering him. So if USC has an advantage over anybody that they play throughout the entire season, it is just the simple fact that no one seems to be able to contend with all three of the wide receivers. People have been able to shut down one, maybe even two, but never all three. When it comes to the tight end fan club, Alicia, you would be the president and I would likely be yeah. the secretary of state. Like we are big, big <laughs> fans of tight ends and the, and their utilization. And USC traditionally has used the tight end in a way that, um, is just, it makes me envious. Um, not necessarily the case this year. Josh Follow has seen the field, but really hasn't uh, been as productive as he has in the past. I know you have a new offensive coordinator. Um, I, I the other guy that you have, I can't pronounce his last name. It has like 17 consonants in it. <laughs> what is his name? <laughs> Cromenhoke, Eric Cromenhoke. Why now? Are they going to be a threat against Arizona? Because those big lumbering bodies that you, you traditionally think about with USC, um, that may not be the case when Arizona goes into Los Angeles in this coming Saturday. Yeah, Josh Follow is currently out with a a knee sprain, so I don't expect him to play against against Arizona. And he's really the guy that it's it's unfortunate that he had this injury because you could have could have imagined a world where USC started to develop him as a downfield passing option. And that just really wasn't able to come together early in the season and definitely won't be while he's currently uh, injured. Eric Cromenhoek is a guy who is on the field constantly, but he, they're not going to try to use him as a downfield option where he was really successful this past week was as a little safety valve for, uh, for, for Keaton Slovis. Uh, he had five catches for 37 yards and, and did a good job of just sort of being available and getting a few yards here and there as, as, as the opportunities came up, but he's primarily used as a, as a blocker. And he's actually done quite an outstanding job for USC in that role. Um, almost, uh, like an H back kind of situation most of the time, but yeah, the tight end is not the sort of featured, weapon in this offense granted they don't necessarily need to be because we just talked about all those yeah, wide receivers that's true. but uh but chromanoke will be on the field uh, the vast majority of the time uh and we are starting to see a little bit more in the past two games in fact he has seven receptions after having two receptions in the first four games so that tells you they're getting a little bit more comfortable with him as a as a as a outlet kind of option but that's all he's ever going to be i think my sincere condolences for your boy, Veve Malapai, uh, the injury. Oh he was God. having a good year and you called it, Alicia. I, 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 and he's, is he out for the entire year or is it just this game? It's it's not clear. I think it's going to be a couple weeks at least. I mean, at, at best, it's a, a few weeks. Maybe you get him back for the last couple of games of the season, but uh, they haven't really given us any information on that. So uh, it, it, it doesn't look terribly good for my guy Vi, but you're, you're right. He was having like, I think one of the things that USC fans have fallen in love with Marquis step for good reason, but final pay, I was having a very good season, uh, sort of doing the, doing the all around work that USC needed him to do. And he remains USC's best, uh, blocker in the backfield. So that might be something that hurts USC going forward. Cause the guys that they have outside of him are a lot less reliable in that regard. And they're going to have to force them to do that job. Uh, so it'll be interesting, but yeah, Vi leading rusher. Every, anytime you lose a leading rusher, it, it's rough. But on the pl- on the plus side for USC, if you were gonna you know pick a position to lose your starter, running back is one where you can 
you can't really live with it depth wise, but in terms of quality, I don't think anyone's going to be crying too hard about Marquis Step getting more carries. Yeah, no, absolutely. Some very talented players that USC always has at running back. The biggest question here is the offensive line. How are they at run blocking and how are they at pass blocking? You think Arizona is going to be able to get some pressure in that backfield? Uh, okay. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, uh, USC's offensive line. How do I describe them? Um, let's say that USC has faced several teams who have decided that because they're playing USC's air raid, they're going to go with a three man front and drop eight. And which is, I think perfectly, perfectly reasonable. And USC's offensive line is the kind of offensive line who, while a team is dropping eight and rushing three, will still give up pressure Hmm. consistently. So, um, that's not to say that USC's offensive line is bad. USC has five good offensive linemen uh, who are perfectly capable of blocking extremely well, uh, who when they block when they block well, which is probably 50% of the time, uh, they block extremely well. So they're given like the quarterback hours to throw or they're opening up wide caverns for the running backs to run through. Uh, they're super athletic and, and doing their job. When they do that, they are unstoppable. But they are a completely, completely inconsistent team. So will Arizona be able to get pressure? Probably, because USC is going to break down every once in a while, no matter what. Uh, is Arizona going to be able to, you know, throw a tackle for loss or two in there when USC tries to run the ball? Probably, because there is going to be a, a USC a offensive lineman who whiffs just for fun. Uh, that is that is what USC's <laughs> offensive line is. It's it's flip a coin. Is somebody going to do the swinging door routine as I as I've uh, come to calling it? And uh, you sort of see is Marquis Step going to be able to shake off the guy who hits him in the backfield or not? That's really often what it comes down to. So it's very frustrating because as I said, they ha- you can see when they're good how good they can be. It's just that uh, what what's that saying they say? Uh, I have friends in Austin and they're always saying. In, in Austin, if you don't like the weather, uh, just wait 15 minutes. I feel like with USC's offensive line, if you like the offensive line too much, just wait three plays. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's not encouraging. Um, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned, you know, uh, what, what word should I use to describe the offensive line? And the word I was going to use was big. Like, you know, big, talented guys that um, – can provide coverage but you're right i think they've been it's been frankly the bugaboo for usc's offense the last couple of years is just the consistency of the offensive line and i think like sam darnold covered up for a lot of that a few years ago um with his play and um yeah it'll be interesting so the the line here in this game is nine arizona is a nine point underdog going into the coliseum if arizona is going to pull the upset what are two things that you think would have to happen for that to to be the case and i'm not saying that you have to root for it alicia just you know what what theoretically would it be yeah i think uh, khalil tate has to have a big game and we've seen it's been interesting because you know khalil tate uh, i think playing usc he does like you said earlier that he tries to do too much and i think that's something that we've sort of seen he's had simultaneously bad and good games going up against usc Uh, last year was kind of a weird thing because he was dealing with that injury, but it felt like he wasn't tearing USC apart like USC was was fearing until the second half when randomly that the second half happened. Um, but the last time that he came out to, to Los Angeles, I think USC actually did a very, very good job of limiting him, even though he created the big plays that kept Arizona in the game for, for a little while in that game. So USC, I think, is if USC has some worries, it, it would be around Khalil Tate coming out and having one of those Heisman games that, that he had, you know, a couple of years ago. 
And uh, if he's able to hit a few passes as a, you know, throwing the ball and then use his legs uh, intelligently to, to take, you know, take advantage of, of USC's defensive line, which struggles, struggles to contain and USC's linebackers, which struggle to pursue the ball well uh, and, and tackle, then Khalil Tate could single handedly put, you know, tear USC to shreds. Um, so that is number one, the the first and foremost of, of USC's concerns in this game. If Arizona covers, if, you're, if Arizona wins, it'll be because Khalil Tate has gone off. On the other side of things, like I don't know, I don't know what Arizona's defense can do to stop USC specific to Arizona's defense, because I, I feel like when it comes to USC, my USC centric perspective on this. It doesn't matter what defense they're facing. USC's mistakes, their own shooting themselves in the foot moments, uh, the offensive line doing a swinging door routine. Uh, those are the things that stops USC's offense. So, you know, going up against Arizona's, it's not like Arizona's defense has been, like you said, they're tightening up a little bit, but they have had their their moments where they're, you know, a sieve, and USC needs to find a way to make them look like that. The problem is that I don't trust USC's offense to be very coherent uh, all the time and to take advantage of the uh, the, the potential cracks that, that, that could show in Arizona's defense. So it, for me, it really comes down to what does Khalil Tate do and what does USC do? How, you know, how much does USC choose to shoot themselves in the foot versus not yeah and that goes back to the defense and if you watch the washington game it's a perfect example of the defense needs the offense to be on that field for a while it's when arizona gets caught in the three and outs bad khalil tape passes he runs out of bounds when he doesn't need to he when he makes those mistakes and he doesn't you know sometimes he doesn't sometimes he doesn't but if if that's the khalil tape we're getting the defense won't be able to hold usc's offense there's just not enough talent and depth on arizona's side to be able to sustain a full game of usc being on that field but if Tate's moving the ball a little bit that does give an improving defense some time to rest and and not have to feel the pressure of always having to come up with a stop and that was certainly the case against uh, Washington well cool well thank you so much for for coming on Alicia and I know that you're going to be covering the game by the way Alicia and and her crew over at Raina Troy has access to the field if there's anybody that knows about USC football um, it is that whole team that you have there so where can people follow you if they want to kind of get a USC perspective on on the game yeah so uh at reign of troy on twitter is uh is our main twitter account my personal twitter is at penguin of troy um you can find us on on facebook as well uh, reign of troy.com is is the website uh reign of troy radio is the podcast uh, and yeah we we try to you know keep it keep it as as down to earth when it comes to talking about usc and, and knowledgeable and fair as possible so um yeah if, if you want to hear the, what USC people are saying going into this game, we'll have a preview episode up uh, by Thursday uh, going into going into the weekend. So uh, you can get to figure out where we're, we're coming from. It, it might be quite enjoyable for Arizona people, though, because we're pretty um, – pretty pessimistic on usc it's like so. you're a realist i would put it that way you're a realist well, I'm, put it put it this way our preview episode will not be a bunch of like oh yeah usc is gonna kill arizona like that's that's not where we're coming from <laughs> i just gotta look at i just gotta look at the size of your nose tackle 
uh, yeah, you, uh, as a, as a quick aside, just to throw this little tip out to you guys, uh, USC center cannot handle 325 pound nose tackles. So that'll oh, be fun. Okay. Well, I didn't know about that. That's interesting. We'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, definitely tune into uh rain of Troy Torrey radio. And again, the website's excellent too. So just really, really good coverage, in-depth coverage on USC football leading up to the Arizona game. Alicia, thank you for coming on and I'm sure we'll be in touch on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. Have a good one. All right, Adam. So as promised, uh, great stuff, right, from Alicia. As always, very dialed in. Uh, She is very comfortable and uh, also very comfortable calling out Clay Helton, right? Like, if you don't follow her on Twitter, please do. Uh, Penguin of Troy, as she mentioned, is her Twitter handle. Um, She is, uh, she's very, very dialed into the USC program. Also, always providing great content. And then also, um, she's not going to shy away from sticking it to Clay Helton. And, uh, you know, poor, this guy, unfortunately, out there yeah is. <laughs> yeah right i guess that's a fair point but uh she uh poor poor clay helton kind of a dead man walking at this point uh adam let's jump in right so as she mentioned and as everyone knows three and three uh takeaways that i got right uh banged up really all over the place right uh via malapai uh their running back really one of their more productive running backs of course marquee steps has come in and filled into one of the more traditional backs you know stephen carr is still there uh, as the pass catching back um but there's still some dynamic uh, chemistry with with those two uh, with step and car in place, regardless of via getting hurt. Uh, moving on, though, I mean, right? It's easily, easily the best receiving core in the conference, right? I, I, oh, I would yeah. even argue one of the best in college football. I mean, these guys are tremendous. Uh, Keaton Slovis, too, as a true freshman out of Desert Mountain, out of the Phoenix area. Uh, he, I, for anybody that didn't see the Notre Dame game, uh, they were very much in position to win that game, and their defense honestly just couldn't quite get the stops that they needed. Very banged up on the defensive side of ball uh, of the of the defensive side of the ball. Um, this is a team, as always, Adam. I, I've gone through and I saw. You know, ESPN, you can go back if you look at Arizona and you can go back and you can see all the way schedules going back all the way to 2003. I went back and I counted. We've only beaten USC twice since 2003. Um, yeah, granted, there's some close games, actually a handful of close games built Very into that. Very close games. Um, but the bottom line is, for some reason, we just cannot get over the hump on this. Um, you know, the, perhaps we're meeting them at a good time, right? Very banged up, like I said. True freshman quarterback. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from what Alicia had to do with the breakdown? Well, mostly that this is a talented team, but it's a team that's not ready. That we've like USC's never not talented. I guess maybe a few years ago, or now it's like five or six years ago, when they were struggling with some things, they weren't as talented as before. But they're still plenty good enough to beat pretty much anyone to play with anyone. We, you're talking about, they could have easily beaten Notre Dame. Yeah, and even like mm-hmm. like this is a team that beat Utah not long ago. So, it. so it's not a bad roster. This is kind of like playing Washington again, only maybe a more inexperienced, less consistent Washington. For Arizona, that's kind of the impression I got that they're banged up, which is helpful. But it's like unlike when Arizona's banged up and they're replacing with someone who may or may not be ready to play at the pass, USC's backups tend to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's hard for me to be. I I got the impression too that no one's super confident in USC, but at the same time, it's kind of like I right, know this team can be better than it has been. Just will it be? 
They are very talented. And honestly, I, the, the big, I mean, it's USC, right? I mean, it really doesn't require much more assist into that. I mean, what we just saw out of Washington, Chris Peterson, since uh, since he's been there, since coming over from Boise State, has done a tremendous job in terms of closing the talent gap. You see a little bit up in Oregon with Mario Cristobal in his second year, right, taking care of trying to close that talent gap between, you know, what you see with some of these other schools. But I mean, USC is just the gold standard year after year for talent, right? Like true raw talent, right? Uh, now it's not necessarily managed the yeah. way you'd want to see because otherwise i mean you would expect them to be on an alabama level and, and quite frankly i mean maybe they should be i think that's honestly why uh you know a lot of the a lot of these alumni are getting a little uh a little fed up of course you know with clay helton and, and them just not being at that alabama level because the resources are there the facilities are there now, honestly even the recruiting to a certain degree is there but for some reason they are just not in that same competitive landscape level as as alabama or, you know even lsu or you know some of those other names clemson if you want but um but i, I guess i kind of digress there the, the the point being is that there is like we saw last week there is a going to be a very apparent talent gap between the rosters and i think one thing and this is something this is a certain narrative that's been brought up over the years you know a lot of these guys that we recruit that arizona recruits are from the south southern california area of course Khalil tate they'll be hammering on this on saturday night for the third straight year or actually the fourth straight year right <laughs> Khalil tate this will be the fourth time he's played usc and of course he was not recruited as a quarterback to usc he was recruited as an athlete but he said of course no i'm no i'm a quarterback going with rich rod and and here he is. I, we're, as always, you know, we'll do our predictions at the end of this, Adam. Um, I just have such a weird feeling coming after the Washington game. Um, to me, this feels like a really good rebound game in the sense of, you know, we're catching USC, it seems like, at a, at the right time, even though, again, even though they were probably just a couple plays away from upsetting Notre Dame in South Bend. Um, bit of a, I mean, that is a rivalry game, so, you know, you kind of then, you get just the randomness element to it that you wouldn't necessarily get with any other opponent. Uh, yeah, I guess, like, the coin flip aspect, right, when it comes to rivalries, um, they just are very familiar with each other. But the point being is they got very banged up after this game. And as Alicia said, um, you know, the offensive line that Notre Dame has did just a number on the defensive front of USC. And they just weren't able to to stop the run really specifically. Right. Um, If Arizona can get back to what we saw, uh, you know, really, I mean, really more so in that Texas Tech game. Um, with especially now with JJ Taylor being back, if, if you can establish some of the run game and, and, and establish some of that physicality early on, that's def that's definitely going to help Khalil Tate get comfortable and then hopefully open things up in the passing game. Um, I guess I'm just kind of I'm kind of concerned overall. I, I think when it flips back to USC's offense, uh, I, I I think this has this 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 certainly has the makings of a shootout in my mind. Oh, it certainly looks that way with all the injuries that USC has on defense. And I kind of hope it does become a shootout for Arizona because I think Arizona's offense can be good enough to win one of those games. But I don't know if there's ever a good time to play USC. But I like your idea that for a bounce back game, for a rebound game, like USC's not ranked. They're not one of the best teams in the conference. And yet a win on the road against them would do a lot to kind of mm-hmm. tell people, yeah, Arizona is a pretty good football team or has made those strides that the Washington game was the anomaly that it was just a bad performance. And, but at the same time, I would never feel good about playing USC, especially mm-hmm. on the road, except I, I saw someone had this stat, like Arizona's losses at 
USC have not been by a, lo- a wide margin. It's they've been close games, and even some of the games in Tucson, they've been close games. It's, maybe that's just the Pac-12, but just the difference between these two games when they've played has not been as wide as we think it is. Just because Arizona hasn't won the game doesn't mean they haven't been competitive. A play here, a play there. So you look at this for someone, the focus is going to be on Kulo Tate with good reason, especially after the Washington game. But if he could go back home to California and play well, because remember, he didn't get to play at UCLA. He didn't, you know, so he's played at USC once before and come back in the second half of that game late in that one, I remember. But this is a chance for him. Like, as Arizona needs to rebound, so does he and kind of reestablish himself as the guy. And this is a perfect opportunity against a banged-up defense with a secondary that's fit to have some issues in this one. So combined with J.J. Taylor being healthy and looking like himself, it certainly sets up as a as good an opportunity as Arizona will have to get a really big win where they need it most, playing a team that is ripe for the picking. Like, maybe. Because even then, USC, their losses this year, it's not like they've been losing to bad teams. You know, like we want to say they have three losses. Well, BYU, that was a close game on the road and they lost by three, but then they lost to Washington and they came to number nine, Notre Dame. So it's not like they're a team that's just been getting beat by the average programs in the Pac-12. So in there and beat a middling USC team. Now they're probably more talented than yet with as much injuries as they have and the controversy or the drama surrounding that program with Clay Helton, this might not be, this might be the type of season where Arizona could go over there and steal one. I, I sure hope so. Uh, I, I, and I think that it, it kind of has that making, right? And, and kind of, I want to circle back to your point of the stat that you saw. The, the, I, the, there was something, so leading up... Um, Leading up to 2016, now obviously we know that that was just a, an awful year, right? 2016 finished three and nine, one conference win. Of course, that was when we smoked ASU at the end of the year, um, but but that was just injury riddled galore. That was just um, really telltale signs of Rich Rod not doing a good job of backfilling with, with recruiting. Uh, it, it was just it really it was just the perfect recipe of disaster. Um, if you go back though, starting in 2007. So this was like, you know, post like the Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart stuff. Starting in 2007, um, Arizona had lost to USC 2013 all the way up through 2015. Uh, So what is that? Eight, nine seasons. All of our all of our outcomes were one possession games. And if you even want to take away 2016, because I think that's fine to use that as an outlier, just given how banged up we were, uh, you know, redshirt or not even redshirt, true freshman Quill Tate out of shape. Yeah. Quill Tate started that game because everybody, a new Solomon was banged up. Uh, you know, Brandon Dawkins banged up. Um, I, I just, it was just, it was just really bad situation. If you want to take that out, the following year, 2017, uh, we we lost that game 45-35. Right, that's 14 point difference. But if you guys remember, that's when we were down big, and then Arizona. Quill Tate uh, really Got drove hot. this team back in, and it was a tied football game in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it, it, final score it does matter, but I mean, really, it was closer than a two score game, it felt. And of course, last year, 24 20, it was there for the taking. Defense played well enough, and it just wasn't. There's just something about this matchup that even, even when USC is just tremendous, we play them tough. And then, obviously, we know they're not tremendous this year. Talented, yes, of course, they're always talented. Uh, but this this is definitely going to be a situation where can we maybe get to Slovis, right? I mean, I, I think that mm-hmm. this whole thing is going to come down to it, – it's just a typical cl- cliche just things, right? you got to take care of the ball, especially on the road. But, I mean – 
If you look to back to last week, not to not harp too much more on that because we've spent plenty of time on it. Um, turnovers were the death of us, right? I, I know that yeah. it's just you cannot turn over the ball that much. So if you take care of the ball and you're able to get to Slovis, at least not give him the amount of time. Um, if you give him all the time of day, you can do this drop eight crap and rush three. Slovis is going to destroy us because those receivers are just so damn good. Um, if you do that and then at least get some stops, but then Quill Tate's able to get something going. I mean, I I, I don't think. Think it's plausible, right? I mean, I, I definitely think that there's something there, and, and it's going to be. I, I definitely think part of me feels like you know after the Washington game, how can, how in the world can it be you know better? How can Arizona cover this nine ten point spread that Vegas has out there, right? Easy, like, yeah. But when you really start diving into it, it does feel like this is going to be a lot closer than what some are thinking. Well, and that just comes back to like all the confidence people had in Arizona going into Washington. Like, did the Washington game enough to make you lose it all? Like, what what did you see in that game that worries you? Well, for me, it was the offensive line getting abused. That was the main thing because, and that trickles down because then Tate wasn't comfortable and he looked bad. And when Tate looks bad, then the offense isn't going to move like it needs right. to. Defensively, I thought Arizona was fine. <laughs> like with a they better offense, been. the yeah. defense looks better. Like the defense kind of built off of what it had been doing. They've been average to decent for the most part. Yes, they wore down the, the damn burst at the end of that game, but that's mostly because the offense was bad and kept putting them in terrible positions mm-hmm. with turnovers. So if you look at it that way and say there were bad things that happened in that game, but they're not, they're not indicative of who this team has to be. Like, yes, they're fully capable of having a bad offensive line game and Kulo Tate looking awful and turning the ball over. We've seen it. They can do that, but they haven't been that most of the season. So when I look at them and say, yeah, it's easy to be down on them after the Washington game, and who wouldn't be? That was miserable because of the hype that went into it, because of the hope that we all had for it, Mm -hmm. for that game. So that's the thing. We look at that and say, man, like if Arizona would have been competitive, we'd still be down on them because it's like, oh, you got to be able to take that next step. But because the way it went, it's like, well, they just got housed in that one. Maybe Arizona's not ready to compete. And if they play like that, no, they're not going to beat a team like USC, especially on the road. But Arizona doesn't have to turn the ball over four times. Yeah. Like you'd like to think that they will rebound from this. And that's what I'm actually really excited to see from them is that just like we hadn't seen them win four in a row in a long time, a big thing is how they bounce back from this game. Like they bounced yeah. back from the Hawaii game, but they had two weeks to do it and they played NAU. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Different. Yeah. So they were, they were going to bounce back from the Hawaii loss no matter what. Well, now you had some buzz. You had some excitement. You had some momentum. You felt you had some confidence. And it did not go according to plan against Washington in any way. How do you bounce back? Where's this team's mental fortitude? And last season, they didn't really have great mental fortitude. They were kind of a front-running team that when things are good, they look good. But when things went against them, they look bad. Well, this season, they've dealt with in-game adversity pretty well. How many times did they bounce back against Hawaii? How they bounce back in a close game against Colorado, against UCLA, right? Like, this team has seems to be tougher mentally, but... They lost a big game, and I, I went talk about it. It was the first big game I thought in a really long time, and they lost mm-hmm. badly. So the question is, how do they rebound from this? And USC, I think part of the reason, and I'm sure you're going to see a lot of articles about this. I know I've read some already, so it's not an original thought. But a big reason why these games tend to be close is all those kids in Arizona who weren't recruited by right. USC yep. or chose Arizona over USC, but they're from California, kind of want to stick it to them. So if you can't get up for this game, like they get up for this game. Arizona's guys. So we know they're capable of playing a good, clean football game. And when Arizona does that, they can compete with anybody. But 
The one thing that does worry me more than anything is that offensive line, the way it got abused, because the running game was fine, but you got to be able to pass protect a little better. You need to allow Khalil Tate to get comfortable, and that's also on Mazzoni to run some plays that just get him into a rhythm, get him comfortable. Maybe it's rolling him out of the pocket even just to set up at a different point to throw the football instead of just the dropbacks that they were having and have him roll out only when he was scrambling. But you need a comfortable Khalil Tate, but Arizona, I'm... <laughs> I'm not, I can't pick him to beat a team like USC on the road. Same reason I couldn't pick him to beat a team like Washington. I wasn't sure Arizona was ready for that type of win. But USC, this isn't a dominant, terrific, like you said, USC team. They're, they're fine. They're talented. But they're not, they're not USC like we're used to. So if Arizona comes out with still confidence saying, you know what? Flush away what happened against Washington. Don't turn the ball over four times and you'll win that game. If they look at themselves and say, this is a team that came back in the second half and was within a possession in the fourth quarter, then maybe you figure they can do something in this one. But I'm so excited for this game just to see how they bounce back, to see where their mental fortitude is. Does Kevin Sullivan and that coaching staff get them ready to play and instill enough confidence that they believe they can win and then go out and do it? I'm really curious to see that. Prediction time. And I think you 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 kind of you led on some there. You alluded to some things. So go ahead and finish those thoughts there, Adam. Go ahead and throw out your prediction. <laughs> it's <laughs> you know if I couldn't pick them to beat Washington at home, I certainly can't pick them to beat UC or USC on the road. Yeah. So I'm going to say uh, we'll say 37 to 30 mm-hmm. USC. But I, I guess I won't hedge it. I think Arizona loses this game. Yeah. But it'd be the type of loss where people aren't nearly as upset as they were after the Washington loss because it's like, well, they were in the game. They were competitive. They just were beat by a better team. Yeah. I, I, I like that. And, and you know, and I do think that, and so when I say, you know, a rebound game, um, we don't have to speak in absolutes here. Right. Because I do think that I, I, I think, you know, losing this game 37, 30, it's in showing things, you know, like, but you know what, you took care of the ball, right. If there was like a, you know, the offensive yeah. line for USC just just played the best game it did all year. And Slovis just had all this time and their receivers, we just didn't have an answer. That's believable. I mean, that, I, I would have a hard time. You were just outmatched at that point, right? And, and that's kind of what we expect when I talk about this talent gap. Um, I, I think, you know back to the point of a rebound, you know, like did the, how did the offense look, you know, like overall did the defense, okay, yes, they gave up 37 points, but how did the defense look right? Because towards the end of that Washington game and rightfully so, I mean, it was just lifeless, right? Like you could just see it. Like how, what was the body language looking like? How, what the offensively, what was the game plan? Um, you know, how did Kevin Sumlin get these guys up to your point? Right. I do think that you can still lose this game, but then there is such thing as a moral victory in this sense too. I'm not a big moral victory guy, but I do think that there is, is a little bit of a moral victory aspect, like a wrinkle that can come from this. I'm with you, Adam. I definitely, I don't see a situation where I, I just can't see us winning this game. I mean, as much as it pains me to say, uh, I mean, obviously, obviously I want nothing more. Um, Which means they're going to win probably. Arizona's going to cruise because we're sure picking them so. both to lose. I sure hope so. And, and I'll be clear too. I'm not doing this as a reverse jinx because I'm a little superstitious, right? It's not the, uh, it's not the Michael Scott. Well, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm superstitious, but I'm a little stitious, like that type of thing. You know, I think um, obviously five and two looks a hell of a lot better than four and two, especially when that five and two means now that you're four and one uh, or, or excuse me, three and one in conference play. I mean, that, that, that feels, uh, light years different. Um, but I mean, we don't have to explain, I mean, how important this game is, right? I mean, there's still going to be, we're at the halfway point four and two. I still kind of feel like maybe we're, you know, we're, 
we're right where you and I thought they would be for the most part, right? With our preseason prediction, a game off, maybe I can't have, I, I just can't see a situation where we go in there and win that. Now, what I will say is there is going to be something to Khalil Tate in this one, because Khalil Tate, if you remember two years ago, after he led that fierce comeback and our, our defense, uh, stop me if you've heard this before, our defense just couldn't get a stop. They couldn't get off the field. And that was mm-hmm. it. You know, 49-35 was the final. I don't know if you remember, but Khalil Tate was hugging his ex-high school teammates of SC, and he was in tears on, on the field just because he wanted yeah, so yeah. badly. Last year, he was not the Khalil Tate that we're used to seeing. I mean, he could barely walk, right? And, and it's, it's debatable if he even should have been in the game, but he was, and of course, we lost 24-20. This is the last time he's going to play USC, and I think it's very fitting that it's at the Coliseum, right? Um, there is definitely going to be a, an emotional wrinkle to this whole thing. That, that you really can't quantify you know I'm, I'm a big i'm a big numbers guy i do think that you, know, you can quantify just about everything um i i think that this is something though that goes that transcends being able to quantify things just a little bit right um i i do expect him to just have a game now i would now saying especially that, after what he how he played last week you yes. think if he's ever going to have a game where he's focused and sharp and I mean, he wasn't trying to be bad against Washington. No, we, no, no, we no. Act like he came I mean, out there with the intent, like he didn't care. No, he clearly wanted to do well. He just didn't. Yeah. But if focus was an issue or is ever an issue, you have to think it wouldn't be that this week. Now, but, but, but back to the, but right. Just to wrap this up, cause I know I'm rambling at this point. Uh, I do expect him to have a game, but I, I just, I, I, I fear part of me feels like there's going to be this, um, maybe a little bit of a loose cannon, but I think at this point, this is, this is the Quill Tate, right? Like, you know, one drive, he's getting sacked. And I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to throw away the ball and not take the sack, right? Um, and it turned into, Jesus, man, you just you just fumbled. And now Washington picked up the ball and walked in the end zone with it. Turn around, and here yeah. he is leading a 70-yard drive down the field. I mean, it's just incredible. It's just at a drop of a hat how, like, Jekyll Hyde it can be. So The roller coaster uh, that is Khalil Tate. Yeah. yeah. So I, wrapping this thing up, I can't see it. I wouldn't be shocked, I'll say that, because it would not shock me if Khalil Tate, again, just from that emotional aspect, just rallies this team and gets it done. You know, I, I think there's no other way to put it. Like, that would not shock me. I don't think it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Yeah, and this like the thing, this is the fear. Like Arizona, for all their two losses were disturbing in different ways, right? Hawaii is like we thought they should beat Hawaii, and it was so close. Washington had all the momentum, and the turnovers looked bad. Whatever. At four and two, Arizona's not really far. People had them at right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you're handing out a grade for this team, a B seems reasonable. Like so. you you want them to be better, but you couldn't expect it. Mm-hmm. But the trick is, and we knew this after the first five games, which is why the Hawaii game seems so important and why every game after that was so critical for this team, is that we knew the schedule got tougher. You know, you had versus Washington at USC, at Stanford. Like, that could easily be three straight losses. But if you win this game here, obviously you won't have three straight losses, but it kind of stabilizes things again. And now you're taking, you're winning a game that maybe you weren't supposed to. Because mm-hmm. up to this point, Colorado was a toss-up. In Hawaii, I guess they've won enough to put themselves in position. Not they're not going to win the Pac-12 South. I don't care that they're still in contention. They're not going to win the Pac-12 South. Mm-hmm. But at four and two, they're not in a bad spot. No. Just the trick is, are they four and two because they're uh, the best of the third tier in the Pac-12, or are they somewhere in the second tier in the Pac-12? Mm-hmm. Because I'd like to see at least three more wins, preferably one of them being the last game of the season against ASU. Sure. But like this team. 
I don't think they're bad. They're not. Their two losses were easily explainable, and I really believe that the four games we saw prior to that, especially the three before that, show more about who they are as far as their talent, what, what they can do. Mm-hmm. But they have to rebound, and they have to. They can't. Their margin for error is so thin against good teams that they can't just play bad. Yep. Like maybe Tate can be bad, but you can't have fumbles by other guys. Or maybe your running game can't do anything, but you know someone has to step up. And in that game, it was just a defense for 45 minutes or so, 40, 45 minutes, and that was about it. Too many mistakes by too many people. So like, they're not going to be. They're not favored against USC, and they shouldn't be. And even if they win this game, they won't be favored at Stanford, and I wouldn't favor them there. They won't be favored again until Oregon State, and they might be the last game they are favored in. But the opportunity is there. Like, I don't know. I guess I'll put it this way. My final thought. Nothing that happened against Washington made me feel any worse about this team's potential. Mm-hmm. It's fair. Because like, everything, fair so thought. much stuff. Like, like, I don't, I never thought they were on Washington's level, but there were so, mo- so many self-inflicted wounds in that game where it's like, if you don't do that, Arizona's competing with a team that's not on their level. So to me, as frustrating as that loss was, it was more frustrating. Man, you're just not good enough. Yeah. So that's how I still feel about this team. And hopefully I'm still feeling that way when we do the show next week because this USC game is very interesting. It's winnable. I'm, we didn't predict them to win, but it is winnable. All right, Adam. So we'll go ahead. Um, the game Saturday night, at least it's not an 8 p.m. game, right? If we're looking for consolation prizes, <laughs> 6.30 p.m. means I'll still get to bed at a reasonable hour. It will not be past midnight when I finally wind down, which is a good thing. Um, but, yes, yeah, so the game will be televised. Uh, Pac-12 Network, 6.30 p.m., of course, on the road there at USC. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoy the game. And, of course, we will talk to you next week. Until then, bear down.